it was the last regular season game and Tad Boyle grabbed the PA mic and apologized to the entire crowd, <laughs> which is not something head coaches ever do. I like, do remember Tad Boyle apologizing to his crowd for losing to Oregon State. I'm uh, Andy Clark. And I'm Sam Whiteley. And we're going to tell you the story of the 2015-2016 Oregon State Beavers. Well, and also, we're the, we're the co-hosts of the Peyton Years podcast, the only podcast in existence dedicated solely to Oregon State men's basketball. Simply put, going into the 15-16 season, it, it was not good. I think it, it's fair to say. Coming off just absolute terrible ending to the Craig Robinson years which are coming off an absolute terrible ending to the Jay John years, you know, which is just terrible after terrible after terrible, really since um, the early 90s. But I think there was also a level of optimism surrounding this year going into it that hadn't been there in quite some time because the previous season, they really were one of the feel-good stories of college basketball simply because they won more than three games. Yeah, and I think it's you're still got the new coach, new regime kind of shine. Oregon State fans for basketball expect so little out of their team out of the last 30 years since Gary Payton graduated in the early 90s that any new coach is instantly people are like this is this is it. You can only go up from our last coach. Whoever the last coach was, you can only go up from them. So I think Wayne Tinkle still has some shine on. So people are excited because like Sam said they had a promising season before and then um we have kind of his new players come in. The season before, he has Gary Payton the second, but that's a Craig Robinson holdover. And people are excited about this team because it has our head coach's son on it, Trace Tinkle, and it has our assistant coach's son on it, um, Stevie Thompson Jr. So we've got both the coaches' kids coming in. They're our highest rated players. I think like Stevie Thompson, they're both top 100 guys. And I must say this, it's borderline like an all-name team. Like all over the map, all over the map, but like, you know, I mean, I think just like the name, like the extreme, like name cachet of having Gary Payton, the second there, we've already talked about trace tinkle, um, but having like an Olaf, having a Langston, we had, we've been like, this is great. We had a, a tradition that started years before of having sets of brothers on the team because Ethan Thompson would join Stevie uh, I one two years later. Uh, but before Olaf Shaftenar, there was Roland Shaftenar, the, the Duncan Dutchman he was uh, referred to as. And just as pasty yes. white, like distractingly pale, quite frankly, when you would watch a game in high definition. And uh, so... When, when you're not dealing with NBA prospects, you've got eight years of a Shaftenar on your team. And Olaf was definitely better. I think, is that fair to say, Andy? Um, that is, you're misremembering it. No, Roland, the dunking Dutchman, was much better <laughs> than Olaf. Olaf was a better shooter. He's kind of more of a wing. But I want to say Roland got, like, honorable mention at some point in his Pac-12 career because 
the CBI year, he probably yeah. for sure did. Yeah. Well, he was like a six nine Dutch guy who was, as Sam said, extremely white, and he would throw behind the back passes, and they just they were so shocking and surprising that I think I think it pushed him ahead. He was. They were running like a fifty style Princeton offense, and the the term point center was was not as en vogue back then. But I will give Craig Robinson credit for appointing that to Roland, despite yeah, like. Just do it. How is this effective when you're moving so slowly? But it worked occasionally, you know. Yeah. No, I would say. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. There's an Olaf on it. I mean, uh, I, I think this. I, yeah, this was his senior year. Yeah, Drew Eubanks. I want to give him a quick plug because he's an interesting player. He's in the NBA now, but he, uh, he's from a town in Oregon called Troutdale, which is like a little suburb of Portland. So. We've always it is called him what you picture it as, yes. And uh, we just call him the tallest kid from Troutdale. He's 6'10". He comes in. Um, he's got kind of an interesting backstory where he was a great baseball player, a great mm -hmm. pitcher, and he didn't really get into playing basketball seriously. Um, I mean, he played in high school, but he didn't even play AU until the summer going into his senior year. And even then, it was just because his high school summer league team played, like, the best Portland high school summer league team. And their coach who runs like the AAU scene in Portland was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just hanging out in the <laughs> suburbs, come be on my team. And so he got his scholarship offers late. Oregon state baseball also offers him a scholarship as a pitcher. And uh, the Oregon state basketball team <laughs> forces him to choose one of the sports because they're worried that if he plays baseball, he'll like it too much and just leave the team for that. <laughs> so he's an interesting player. Good. So, good the, so the paranoia comes through again with the and not only for like the basketball team and everything externally working through working against them but also like other teams at oregon state actively it's, potentially working against them as well yeah it's literally everything when i said the universe i was being very literal there's not a thing that does not negatively impact the one's basketball program uh, i just want to say a shout out to jarmal reed who's on here who's another craig robinson holdover who uh tried to trick people into thinking he was a kansas recruit he's one of the higher he was a four-star prospect and he shows up and you're like this guy but he was kind of like six six heavy played power forward always seemed to be kind of in the doghouse but i always liked jarmal reed he said his goal was to bring a chick-fil-a start a chick-fil-a franchise in oregon <laughs> and i always oh yeah i always really like that about him you have Jar Mall, Big G, um, what a, a nickname bestowed upon him because his real name is Gilligory Rakorsevich. <laughs> no one's and ever said it out loud. He's from a place in Montenegro that I also, I'm not even going to try to read, but <laughs> just looked like a, a father who used to play and was really good, but hasn't in 10 years and was like, <laughs> you need a backup center, I'll hop in tonight. Yeah. <laughs> And, and even Justin Stangle out of Milwaukee, Oregon, who I believe was one of the walk-ons that they gave a spot to on this year's team from last year, he was 6'11", too. I mean, it's an absurd amount of size without any points out of it. Yeah. Is it fair to say that Wayne Tinkle has a, like a size bias or a height bias? Yes. You, a hallmark of any Wayne Tinkle team is about six to seven centers. <laughs> right. They're even uh, this year, it's not quite as bad, but even this year, there is a legit seven foot two. We have stood next to him center on it. So there's always got to be at least one. Yeah. 
this team did have an Oak Hill Academy player. It was, it was Daniel Gomez. So not one of the ones you want, but uh, he was a legit seven one and averaged uh, less than two points and one rebound a game, but he was on the team. He was hurt for a lot of the year too. That was kind of a big, that's why, um, what's his name? That's why Drew Eubanks got so much playing time is because he got instantly got started because Gomez like broke his, I can't remember if he broke his hand Oh, was his shin. Well, he had like two injuries. He had like the Clay Thompson thing where he's like rehabbing from one injury and then he hurts himself. Yeah. We kind of had a couple of players. He was the same as, uh, I want to give a shout out to Njai, Shake Njai. The other seven-foot-tall native that's over seven foot tall on this roster, yes. Because that guy was in school like the entire time I was in school. And I think he was hurt for the entire, his entire career. But you would just see this giant walking around campus and he never played. He was just always hurt. And he always had a boom box and he would just walk around like playing his boom box. And yeah, he just seemed like such a good guy. Just like having a great college experience. <laughs> just... We talk about the Beaver bias all the time on right. our podcast and we want to stress to college basketball fans how much of a factor it is. We don't think enough people appreciate it. It's just kind of, um, this is going to sound paranoid, uh, but as an Oregon State basketball fan, you know it's true. It's that the entire universe is actively working against the basketball team um, from all angles at all times. It's unrelenting. It's in the media. It's in the referees. It's in the fans. It's in, honestly, the weather sometimes, scheduling. You can't escape it. Um, but it did seem to impact this team a little bit less. Well, so I do not remember their exhibition game. We don't have to say a lot about it. But Bushnell, I will say that the season prior, and they would go on to win 17 games, but they lost their exhibition game to uh, Western Oregon University, which is a Division II school. So I can mm-hmm. tell you that while I don't remember a lot about this one, I I can tell you I was thrilled with the result, that they won by 22 points and we just avoided – that national embarrassment again yeah the national media has a field day whenever oregon state loses <laughs> exhibition <laughs> game we oregon state has a i think traditionally a tough time with the starts of season so yeah like sam said that's not the only exhibition game they've all they uh have lost before and they usually don't start off this well and that's what i remember from this season is they start off four and oh five and oh four and oh some... yeah something that's like right. that just right out of the gate, which is not what you're expecting. Um, and they've got a really strong bench. Like, depth is really deep for them. Trace Tinkle and Stevie Thompson are just balling out, coming off the bench. you got the two coaches' kids. Gary Payton II is doing everything you want. And then the kind of like the surprise of the early start of the season is that Drew Eubanks, who's the kid who was originally going to be a baseball player, is the starting center for the team because of the Gomez injury. The – the early part of the season, when you're an Oregon State fan, you're always looking for, like, good losses. And so you've already talked yourself into a good loss against Valparaiso. <laughs> that's a fluke. Uh. Right. No, I, we, we, that is a, a term that we have coined on our podcast that, you know, I don't think that the Dukes and the, and the Blue Bloods use it a lot. But when you're talking about tournament resumes, being realistic, there is a difference in losses. You know, we know the term oh. bad loss and we're, we're plenty familiar with those at Oregon State. But I would even, before we talk about the Kansas game, that Valparaiso game, that's a traditional mid-major competitive. Yeah, we were talking ourselves into, hey, that's that doesn't sting too much even. That's a, that's a scheduled loss. Um, even though it, it was first... at home. <laughs> 
though though yeah i mean you schedule those losses at home i do remember thinking that like gary payton the second goes off that game it's no one else is really helping him up but i think i don't know if that's his career high but he has like 25 26 something points like that and he's not he leads the team in points but he's not a scorer um per se like he was defensive player of the year in the conference the year before and he's like a phenomenal defender like it's it's crazy to watch him play defense he just kind of puts his hand out there and people dribble into it it's not even that he like reaches so much but he's just such a dominant defender from the guard spot and I think the Valparaiso game was like the first time you see him this is his senior year kind of making that next step towards like NBA guard level where he can score on his own he's like turning into more creator more than just like a defender really solidifying himself as the best player. And then you see a traditional Oregon State game where everyone else plays bad against a team that's clearly worse than them, and you lose in front of your home fans. That's that's not, There's nothing like it. Scoring 57 points, yeah, when you when you have an NBA-caliber guy go for 26 is truly frustrating and, yeah, kind of par for the course. But I think the fact that they beat Lloyd, LMU and then Nevada, both also at home, but especially in the, the Nevada game, yeah, I was like, okay, that was a good loss to Valparaiso. That that's a, that's indicative of how good they are, and usually that never turns out to be true when I do that. But this year, it it actually did. <laughs> so you're six and one at that point. Like, is NCAA tournament even on the radar at this point? I think it is, but also it's it's the holy grail, you know. Like I at this, it's just been so long since they've even sniffed it, that for me, I, I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, but in a way where it's like, well, we can legitimately look be looking at our RPI pretty soon, you know, even if they lose to Kansas, just the fact that you play a game like that will help you later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Oregon State is, everyone's ecstatic right now, of like where the team is at, how they're doing compared to like the expectations that are going in. People are are definitely talking about the NCAA tournament, but it's almost kind of like a joke. And that's just because Oregon State, you have to understand, is so far removed from the NCAA tournament. Like, they haven't played in it in, like, tw- over 20 years at this point. And it's not like we're ever, like, really on the bubble. It's just, like, it's not really something people think is, like, a realistic thing. If you make the NCAA tournament at Oregon State, that's huge. <laughs> we're, like, even though we're a Power 5 school – it's really more similar to like those like small schools that get in as like the third, they win their conference. They get in as like the 13 seed to the NCAA tournaments, like huge, like that's Oregon state. Like we never get in, especially not an at large bid. So people are thrilled with how the season's going. They love Gary Payton. The second, obviously he's like one of the most popular loved athletes just instantly by name, because Gary Payton senior, his dad is probably the, I would argue the most popular Oregon state athlete at the school of all time. Maybe there's a football player or two you could sneak in there. But I think just by name recognition, his dad is the most popular athlete. Um, And then so him coming back and staying with the school, he's already – people are having a great time. But, yeah, and I I remember that Kansas game was on, like, ESPN2 or something. It was – it definitely had the feeling of, like, this is the biggest game before March that we've been a part of in, in a long, long time. Yeah, and they lost, which is a good a good loss. Oh, it it was absolutely a good loss. I will never forget Trace Tinkle going like six for six or something like that to start that game. And it's it's fever bias, frankly, that he isn't in the NBA right now 
but and that was before he hurt his knee and he was still a little bit lighter and more and but he was hitting step backs in front of like NBA guys as an 18 year old that night especially in the first half yeah he was really good he's really forming and I think early on people thought that uh Stevie Thompson, uh, the other freshman who's the son of the assistant coach, was going to be kind of the guy because he's higher recruited. And he, to his credit, he had some amazing moments this year. He's a very, very clutch player. But I think in the Kansas game, you saw Trace Tingle kind of step over and people realized, like, okay, this is kind of the future of our team. And that's such a rare thing as an Oregon State fan to have, like, the present as Gary Payton II just dominating. And then to be able to point to a guy and be like, well, that's our future and think it's in good hands. Like, normally you have to just enjoy the present and then just cross your fingers and figure out what the future is in a couple of years. We never have stuff in the pipe. So this was, like, a really – like, a magical moment, I think, for Oregon State to have both stability and just kind of, like, a depth roster. It, it was a little bit surreal when he he caught, he had, like, a Steph Curry stretch where he hit three shots in a minute – and one was like a step back with a hand in his face from three. And, yeah, it, it, they lost by 15, but it was a much closer game. <laughs> so the buildup to that was incredible. It was playing closer than 15. I think, you know, they, there was garbage yeah. time baskets. You already used magical and surreal. I'm, I'm not sure there would be <laughs> adjectives to describe a win over a number well, two Kansas. And it's a classic. This is, a, this is one move that I think – uh, Wayne Tinkle took from Craig Robinson, the previous coach, but Craig Robinson every year would schedule Kansas early on, or I don't know if he would schedule Kansas or if he would accept money to fly to Kansas uh, <laughs> to lose to him, but he'd always, those were the best losses. And he would somehow, he was a master of PR and you'd like go into Fog Allen Fieldhouse, Jared Cunningham would have 27 points and you'd lose by eight and you'd come out being like, damn, we got a good team this year. Okay. Yeah. We had them, had them at eight. And so I think anytime you just – Oregon State fans are uh, – like just being associated with a school like Kansas I think sometimes gives us a little bit of like, okay, yeah, we're in the conversation. I like to see it. So whatever happened in this game was good. There were highlights of our team on Center for that game instead of just strictly existing – yeah, when you're an Oregon State fan, you're just used to never seeing your team kind of – an ESPN2 game for Oregon State is huge. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's sad. Um, <laughs> and then they follow up that loss. They they rattle off uh, a bunch of wins, and that leads into the, uh, the Pac-12 start. They do beat Tulsa, who is – and also I just want to say that's just a favorite school for Oregon State to play. It feels like we play Tulsa every year. Oregon State's got these weird, like <laughs> – kind of like mid-major schools that I think like to play us too, because I'm sure that we as the bigger school probably still foot the bill maybe for it a little bit more, but they come in knowing they have a good chance to beat us. (laughs) And they can get home and homes. Like they know that we can, that they can get us to go back to Tulsa. And that I was at that game. That was at the Moda center. Right. Yeah. Where the trailblazers play. And I'll never forget Gary Payton senior sitting courtside across from the Oregon State bench in a very cool Beaver Letterman's jacket and holding a cocktail and really pushing the line of what, like, is appropriate for a parent to do <laughs> at their kids. Like, if this were a middle school game, they would have told them, like, you can't talk to the players on the court like this, sir. Like, it, and Gary Payton the second several times, like, turned and clapped at him, like, telling him, we're fine, we're going – like, he, he – 
did not look sold at that point on the state of the team, but they did win that game and, and they played very well. And Tulsa was a tournament team that year too. They probably shouldn't have been, but they did get in. That, yeah, they, uh, that is a great point that we should bring up is that that is one of the things that makes this such a special season for Oregon State. You know, this is Gary Payton, the second uh, senior year and Gary Payton went to so many Oregon State games and just like a 360 talking head, just talking trash to everyone, referees, uh, opposing players, Oregon State players. Like he's just sitting courtside, yeah. just acting at just you can tell he owns the school, he runs the school, and he's just leaning into it so hard. But it's just so funny to see him there just taunting like a 19-year-old eighth man on Colorado. <laughs> it, it was reminiscent of like what I imagine in the later in his life when Babe Ruth would go to Yankee Stadium. It's like he can get as trashed as he wants. He can do whatever. You can't kick Babe Ruth out of Yankee Stadium. You can't kick Gary Payton out of Gill Coliseum. And especially because the previous, you know, 30 years or so, 25, I guess, since he had graduated, he never really showed up that much, maybe occasionally, but all of a sudden he was there front and center all the time. But that game at the Moda Center, he was in rare form and it was very noticeable. You guys are what, nine and two? Probably feeling pretty good about that non-con nine and two is a thrill obviously you you yeah. pencil in the kansas one but you add just one more game to that and it's against a, a team like we've talked about you can justify you can do as a beaver basketball fan especially it's leading in not only to the pac-12 season but to that other team down south right yeah they it i don't know that they always start conference play with Oregon but it seems like most years they do right Andy yeah I was gonna say I don't think it's always scheduled in but it feels like that's usually the open and bookend for an Oregon State season is to play U of O either at home or away um so it's normal to start off and yeah just for listeners Oregon State uh U of University of Oregon is the longest played college basketball rivalry in the country it has no peers. I think Oregon won the first ever national championship for college basketball. I think that's their claim to fame, what they hold on to as a university. But so this game has been going on since uh, for a long time. What is it, Sam? Like a hundred over a hundred years easily. Far, far. Well, and then, yeah, they played close to 400 games, but the, yeah, over a hundred years in length. Um, there was a time that, Oregon State had like the biggest win differential over their rival that has long since changed but I do think it's still like top 10 because they built up such a strong percentage from the 40s through the early 70s Oregon never really won at that point and now you've got kind of like a big brother little brother situation going on where University of Oregon is they're dominant in football. They have a great football program, Phil Knight. That's Nike University over there. Their campus is built around athletes. Like the when you go to University of Oregon, the nicest buildings are ones that are dedicated to athletics. Like the study yeah. facility, it's like it's all built around athletics. You go to Oregon State, it's the complete opposite. It's like a tech school. It's a school. It's the engineering school of the state. It's like it's all focused on academics. U of O 
has been running kind of the conference. They bring in Dana Altman. They brought in Dana Altman previously. He's got top-notch recruits. They just There's a lot of money. It's obviously dirty money. Oregon State is obviously the pure program, just kind of doing it the right way. We're in it for the kids. We're trying to get degrees. We're trying to build young men. U of O, every single year, it's somebody new pop in. They have Dylan Brooks, who's kind of the Grayson Allen of the Pac-12. Just a, a dirty player, if there ever it was one. Just a villain, the villain of the Pac-12 for his entire career. He used to be best known for committing the most obvious flop in the history of basketball, and that went viral. It was against Utah, I think. Real, a true, and I know I can say this. You can pick any Oregon men's basketball team in history and say this, but it's true. It 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 deserves to be said. This is a very unlikable team. You have Dylan Brooks, who played 34 minutes that night, only went four of 11. Uh, Elgin Cook, you know what? Elgin Cook, I'll leave alone. He gets He's a pass. Decent. He gets a pass. Tyler Dorsey and especially Casey Benson do not. Casey Benson had like a Christian Leitner quality to him. He was very hateable. <laughs> yeah, Casey Benson, um, very hateable. Just kind of like a six-six white shooting guard, but he was like a a pass first shooting guard and kind of led their team in assists. Tyler Dorsey somehow conned his way into playing for the Greece national team and would not shut up about it. That's like all He's you would not- ever hear about whenever you played University of Oregon. Is that Tyler. Tyler Dorsey's on the Greece national team. He's like a 6'3 gunner. Every Oregon player is the same, essentially the same player. 6'3 to 6'5, shooting as much as they can. Just it's AAU basketball uh, on a Pac-12 level. Casey Benson is from literally from Scottsdale, Arizona, and was a golf <laughs> phenom. Like, don't tell me you like that guy on your basketball team. But in addition... We, I think the re, the biggest reason the Beavers won this game, Jordan Bell, 19 minutes, 0 of 2 from the field, 1.2 rebounds. And he holds a special place of hatred in my heart because I recently coached against Jordan Bell in a Portland Pro-Am game, and he fouled the whole time. If my team had gotten to reach in like that, we it wouldn't have mattered that they had NBA guys, and, and my team did not. But I will always resent Jordan Bell as well for that. Well, this was a very good U of O team. Like this team this year, I think this was the team that went to the Elite Eight, I'm pretty sure, for U of O. Um, but they have like – Boucher on it as yeah, well, have, another NBA guy. They have Chris Boucher on the team coming off the bench. And Chris Boucher, just for people who don't know, they probably didn't get as up close a view of him in college as Oregon State fans did. But he was just hilarious because he has a really tough upbringing, but he was just – I think he was literally like uh, houseless for part of his high school career – but he was just so skinny when he got to college and he just couldn't gain weight. And they were all just talking about how much food he would eat, but he just couldn't gain weight. So he's like a six eleven twig who's shooting threes. You've got Jordan Bell, who's going to go to the NBA, who's the most athletic player in the Pac-12 that year. You've got Dylan Brooks, who thinks he's the best player in any game that he steps into because that's the type of egomaniac he is. But he is a very good, very effective Pac-12 player. And then you've got Tyler Dorsey, who's putting up points because that's how U of O's system works. It rewards selfish 6-3 shooting guards. So a very good U of O team. And yeah, they win this game because Jordan Bell, A, doesn't play that well, and B, because Trace Tinkle goes off from the bench, goes for like 19 or 20 points, some, something around those range, 18, something in there. Just a, I can't stress enough. Oregon State is not used to having players who can come off the bench and score. So when you have uh, Trace Tinkle and Stevie Thompson Jr., 
and they're both scores. Like they both are top. Trey Singles the all-time leading scorer for Oregon State now. Stevie Thompson Jr. I think is third or fourth. Sam can correct me on that. Um, but they're just they're gunners and they're coming in and they're putting up consistent points and it's changing the way Oregon State is playing. Um, huge win to start the season off. People were like excited about the team, but when you beat U of O like that to start the season off, that has everyone so hyped, standing on their feet. And Oregon State fans are delusional, so we're like, this is a this is a national championship team. This 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 was a lit night. It was snowing a bunch. I remember in Portland where we live this night, and so it it was a very magical. I know we've used the word already. We'll do we'll use it to describe a win this time. Uh, moment to uh, have snow blanketing your city with 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 good triumphing over evil that way. It's a very interesting snapshot though of the of a specific time in in that team's history because Trace Tinkle and Stevie Thompson Jr. don't start. Well, we also should shout out Langston Morris Walker because we didn't earlier, but a senior on this team went four of seven, hit two big threes. He was huge in this game too and gotta be up there for like most played in games of any Oregon State player too. I want to shout out Langston Morris Walker too because he uh he was one of the last kind of swag recruits of the Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson players um all had swag and Langston Morris Walker is one of his last recruits and my friend who I worked with at school always claimed that he was the one who got Langston Morris Walker to sign at Oregon State because he saw him when he was on his tour and he got really excited and he said Yo, Langston, I, I saw your Yay Area's Finest YouTube mixtape. <laughs> Sick. Are you really thinking about coming here? And he always just was adamant that that's what got Langston because he said that Langston got really hyped up that someone had seen his mixtape. So shout out to Langston Morris Walker. Shout out to Yay Area's Finest. I don't know what happened to that YouTube channel. It seems like they should have only gotten bigger, but it's not the case. I don't know. Yeah, it was so cool. And it was doing everything that Ball is Life is doing now, only cooler yeah, he's got to be the last dude we've signed with a Yay Area's Finest mixtape. He's he, a little infamous himself for stealing from the bookstore. <laughs> from the bookstore. It's you like, know what he stole? Uh, I think he stole like a t-shirt or something that he liked. And it just everyone just was kind That's of funny. like, yeah, had a sour taste in their mouth. He was like, well, we probably, they probably just given you this shirt or something, dude. Like you get, you get all this free stuff. He was a little bit of a letdown of a player because his, I can't lie, his yay area of finest uh, mixtape is sick. He does look like he's going to be a superstar if you watch that. He did hit a game winner against Arizona the previous season, which we will, we always need to be thankful for because we hate the Arizona schools second only to Oregon on mm-hmm. our podcast. All right. Well, then after they beat Oregon, uh, they immediately fall out. They lose to Stanford um, and a good Stanford tier. Uh, team they had uh the the roscoe's on them who weren't related but were both good players i can't remember which roscoe was first team all pack 12 they had like a a legit score who's kind of like a wing power forward guy um they lose i don't know do you have anything you want to say about the stanford game sam i i just remember thinking like it we were due for this and i know that sounds like a just a strictly negative thing to say and maybe it is but i just at the time it was like this is all going so great need something right to to set let reality set in and as the season as the conference season went along we got plenty of that but yeah that, they I probably thought they were better than they were because that was not a great Stanford team that year well especially you know coming right off of 
you know, the high of the Oregon win, the, the, the almost Christmas feel of it. I mean, it is right after Christmas, but the snow in Portland and, and all that, it's probably just like, you know, expected that there's going to be some sort of, you know, I don't know if it was a low energy game or what, but, um, you know, it's expected that you're probably going to have a tough one right after that. It's a little surprising that it happened at home because Oregon State has a true home court advantage where they play at Gill Coliseum, which is a very old uh, stadium. It's, it, me and Sam have been to some of the other Pac-12 stadiums. Uh, it's just, it's on a, such a completely different level than um, some of the newer ones. And the students are like right on top of the court. Like the student section makes an impact at Oregon State, especially at a time like this where they're like winning a lot and the, it's flooded. It makes an impact. So to lose at home is a little surprising. But yeah, like you said, low energy, you're kind of due for it. It's not throwing anyone's vibes off, especially with what happens next where you beat Cal. That was a big game, I just remember, because I remember me and Sam both like uh, the NBA draft. We kind of like following like prospects and talking about if we think they're going to be good and uh, the NBA and Cal has Ivan Rab, who's like really good, who everyone thinks is going to be really good in the NBA, like a six eleven power forward. And then they have Jalen Brown, who just he plays for the Celtics now, you know, obviously like an NBA star, but just in high high school and in college, just looks like such a stud. He looks like LeBron James, like when he's out there. He's got like a flat top going on. He he looks like he's six nine. He's like kind of their point guard, and just to be able to beat a team that has like true like a top three or four pick, that's a huge win for Oregon State basketball. Jalen Brown was so sick that it was almost like Cal was like, you know what? We don't recruit in the Bay anymore. We're just going to not do that. We're going to get seven, two dudes from Germany that aren't any good. Like that was our white whale. It'll never get better than having Jalen Brown one year. Like that was the biggest win Cal basketball has had in years is when Jalen Brown reminded everybody a couple weeks ago before the finals that he's from the Bay. And so he likes playing there. That was like the best. He's like, I played my one year of college there. We did pretty good. And yeah, they have been paying for that ever since then. Yeah, definitely. And they, I can't remember how they ended up that year. They, um, oh yeah, they did. They went to the, they, they were good. The yeah, they were good. They so that's, a, that's a big win for Oregon state. Uh, to beat an NCAA tournament like that, to beat a team with such – Oregon State always kind of feels – I know I said, like, we're, like, the little brother to, like, U of O, but we feel like that way pretty much to every team in the Pac-12, with the exception of probably, like, the Washington schools and sometimes Utah, depending on the year, because it's, it's almost always that the other team has some player who's an obvious NBA candidate, who's obviously the guy. Oregon State doesn't necessarily have that. So to this year have a player who's got, like, NBA lineage, like – Gary Payton the second and see them go up and beat teams that have obvious NBA talent. Like it's a different year this year and people are really hyped up. I remember years prior, Craig Robinson famously said that maybe we won't get one and done guys, but I'll make teams that can beat them. And that was not true. He never did that, but it was like so cool to be like, Oh yeah, it sounded really cool. It's a really cool tagline. But I just remember that game thinking like, that's what that looks like. We maybe don't have a one and done guy on our team, but we just beat a team that did. And it was, it, it sucked. I had to wait seven more years for that to happen, but it, it, it was cool to see. After the, the win over Jalen Brown and Cal, you're at 11 and three. I'm honestly surprised you guys weren't 
ranked. That's classic Beaver bias. I can tell you're new to Oregon State sports by asking, <laughs> saying that you're surprised we weren't ranked. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know that we've ever been ranked since 1990. No, there's no way that's true. When would it have happened if it didn't, you know, yeah. two years ago? I, I think the big thing that comes out of the Cal game is that you – I think it solidifies who the big three on this team is, is that you've got Gary Payton the second, who's the starter. He led this team in scoring um, the whole season, but that game, he had, like, another really good game, like 20 points, 20-plus points. Stevie Thompson Jr. and Trace Tinkle – are becoming the consistent second and third leading scorers every game off the bench. And you're seeing that's like what the offense is going to look like. It's going to be this kind of three-headed monster. You're going to have Gary Payton starting off with kind of like more athletic wings on the side and some post presence with Drew Eubanks. But then you're going to see the freshmen come in and take their shots, and that's where you get some kind of flow. So the team's kind of building more of an identity, especially more of an identity than they had the prior year where every game was kind of like a grit and grind, gutted out. You're not sure how they're going to get the wins, where the points are going to come from. Now it's becoming a little bit more predictable and you're starting to see a real hierarchy of the team laid out. It, it's such a cool team to like it, but they, it was like they added all that to a group that was so gritty. And those guys like Jarmall and Duvivier were the same dudes only now there's guys that can score around them, and it doesn't have to be 53-50 to 50 for them to win a game. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, then they followed up with a loss to Colorado. I don't particularly remember the loss to Colorado too much other than this is a, a John Scott team, and I feel like Colorado always has, like, a 6'10", post player who's been there for five to six years who's in some sort of red shirt senior year and john scott was just the classic colorado big man i think he was either first or second team all pac 12 this year um but just a strong post player uh, i'm sure he had a good game kind of dominated oregon state on the inside hinting a little bit at kind of like the fragility if you just have eubanks in there what's going to happen when you get a big strong player yeah i, I colorado I, I would guess Wayne Tinkle's record against Colorado was the worst of any school. I know he's like, obviously we beat them in the PAC 12 tournament championship and that's not the only time we've beaten them since Wayne's been here, but it's really not that many times. It, uh, Tad Boyle's teams have always had the Beavers number. There's always a conspiracy theory that Tad Boyle is Wayne Tinkle's best friend in the PAC 12 too. So maybe there's a little bit of a pushed by that. us. It is us that <laughs> we perpetrate that the most, but it is true. It is a fact and we can prove it, but um, yeah, Boyle has, I I've always liked Tad Boyle. Uh, my favorite Tad Boyle anecdote is that in Craig Robinson's last season, they actually did beat Colorado on the road to go like three and 15 in conference play or something like that. And uh, it was it was the last regular season game, and Tad Boyle grabbed the PA mic and apologized to the entire crowd, <laughs> which is not something head coaches ever do. I like, do remember Tad Boyle apologizing to his crowd for losing to Oregon State. For, for that, for letting that happen. It was, it was pretty insulting. Like, he did it before he shook hands with them. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that that spells out like a school having your number when it's a public <laughs> apology when they they lose to you. God, that's so funny. I do remember that. Yeah, that's that's kind of Oregon State basketball in a nutshell: is the opposing head coach apologizing to his fans <laughs> <laughs> right after the game ends for losing to us. 
Um, the next game I do want to talk about because that Sam is the Jarmall game. Um, the loss to Utah. So Oregon State loses to Colorado. Oh, it was Utah. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Uh-huh. They lose to Utah 53-59. This was a, a tough game for a, a couple of reasons. One, well, we'll get to we'll get to the number one reason, but one of the reasons is that Utah's very good this year. They have Pac-12 player of the year, Jacob Portal, Partle. I can never Jacob say Jacob Bertle. Jacob Pertle. Yeah, yeah, I always call him Jacob because it's spelled Jacob, but it's pronounced yeah. You were so right. close. I, I should just stay away from it. Um, but he's dominating. He's really good. They've got Kyle Kuzma on this team. This is the year after DeLon Wright leaves. So, like, Utah's really on, like, the up and up. They've got NBA guys in. Oregon State has a pretty big lead, and they kind of blow it in this game. They blow, like, a 12-point lead to lose. But why this game will always stick out is that Jarmal Reed intentionally trips a referee <laughs> as he runs up the court after not getting a foul called. And after watching the clip, I do have to say, in Jarmol's defense, he was fouled right in front of that, right in front of that what? ref. He was fouled. Um, but he gets knocked to the ground. Jarmol gets knocked to the ground by a Utah player. Um, the ref doesn't call anything. Jarmol passes the ball and then does sticks his leg back and just trips this kind of like chubby referee as he runs right by him. Immediately gets ejected from the game. And all I think they were down like two when it happened. And I'll just always remember that. They were for sure gonna win that game, but the 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 replays caught it. He he realizes what happened to him, looks at the official for a good like beat, and then sticks his leg out way like several feet in the air. It would have been very hard for anyone to avoid it. The official takes a very unflattering tumble and knows immediately what happened. That's the best part is that the official took no time to like be confused or surprised no. like i saw you do that and yeah it was like four free throws and the ball it kind of it's sad to say but it kind of ruins jermall's career because he wasn't that good to begin with he was like a real like you're a role player you're here so you'll be our role player but after he trips that referee and gets like a three game suspension uh he just like never really gets consistent minutes it's it's the death blow Chick-fil-A opens a, a franchise <laughs> not too long after he graduated. He doesn't get to be the one who brings Chick-fil-A to Oregon. And nothing worked out for him on his trip. I feel so bad for Jarmo because he was a nice guy. I do want to stress that he was a nice guy. <laughs> and that was after Oregon State has blown a lead. So you're trying to like you're trying to hold on to some momentum. You're you're down, like Sam says, like you're down by two. You've blown the lead, but it's still like a close game. It's anyone's game. And that just was a total momentum killer for whatever their last stand they were trying to muster. And that's a really disappointing hard loss for Oregon state to take. Let's, let's quickly play like revisionist history here. So if, if Jarmal does not get pushed and he does not fall and does not stick his leg out, the referee does not take an unflattering fall. Does he open the first Chick-fil-A? <laughs> yeah. I think I think I, he's I, valedictorian. And there's a number 32 Reed jersey framed in the corner of it, you know, with a picture of him dunking on a VCU player, because obviously the rest of the season goes differently too. Right. Chick-fil-A like Chick-fil-A gift cards thrown out at halftime and <laughs> they change their politics because of it. Yeah, it it be, it's just a beautiful unifying moment for the world. Mm. To me, 
the next game was the worst loss of the season. It's it's they went back home. An 0-2 road trip in the Pac-12 is not something that's gonna kill a Beaver fan. I mean, we can go through that, but to go back home and lose to a a very mediocre UCLA team in the middle of the Steve Alford era. This was like a Thomas Welsh. I don't know if anyone remembers Thomas Welsh outside the Pac-12. But he was like this like 6'10", just really pasty looking white guy who was like a power forward for UCLA, who was just, for some reason, such a big part of their offense during those early Steve Alford years. And think of Thomas Welsh and this like endless sea of like 6'9", like white power forwards at UCLA that just like are just so average. It's like, God, these guys should be playing. It makes you mad as an Oregon State fan because you're like, they're taking our players. These these are the we guys can, that we get. You can make a fun CBI run out of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were such a mediocre UCLA team to lose to them at home. That was really tough. And then, but they followed up with a, the huge Even win the over best USC. Win that, yeah, that's the best win of the season, right? That you could argue, and it doesn't make any sense when you look back <laughs> at the teams that are playing, the people who are on the team, but you can argue that this was the most impressive win of the season and the win that got them into the NCAA tournament. Because they smack a ranked, a ranked USD team. Yeah, I mean, if it's not this, I don't know what it is necessarily. But you, you talked about they had Benny Boatwright and Metu and and maybe one more guy that made the NBA on that team. And USC is such a weird basketball program because it's such an afterthought, but still gets like twice the money in in attention that that ours does well this was the epitome of like a roll the balls out there usc team because i do remember the benny boatwright era fairly well and it was just that benny boatwright has so much talent he's 610 he's a small forward he's got a great looking shot shimimetsu is essentially the same player (laughs) as benny boatwright they just like bring him off the bench um he's a little bit younger and there just seems to be no – I want, I bet it's an Andy Enfield team because it just seems like there's no plan whatsoever. It, it also just, like, truly is astonishing that they would give up 85 points to any college basketball team. But I think that the, the Gill Coliseum magic had an influence on that one because there are certain games, if you go to a lot at Gill, where That's you can it. tell the opposing team just does not want to be there, that they are used to living in L.A., and they are really unimpressed by their surroundings. These USC teams, and even up till today, because Andy Anfield is still the coach, um, <laughs> it's about like, it's not necessarily about winning the games, but they, they measure their games by like, who can have the sickest play. And I don't know if that's what the coaches are preaching, but that's what the players are trying to do. And that's what this USC team was all about. It was all about like, can Benny Boatwright hit this 30-foot step back three? Yes, he is the tallest player on the court and could easily score inside if he wanted to. No, we're not going to set him any screens. And you can't do that against an Oregon State team that's got depth and got an identity like this one. And also four seven-footers that are that just simply have five fouls to use, too. I th- we were probably a good matchup for them, or a bad matchup. So they yeah, followed that, was- that with an 0-2 road trip to the Arizona schools. They kind of got their ass kicked in both of these. So at this point, their record's not even that great anymore, really. No. No, it's falling apart. But you come back for the Utah uh, the Utah game, the redemption game. They beat Utah. Jarmal plays in that game. He doesn't trip any referees. 
<laughs> I love that. Was that his return game, or he was just no? He, he came back. He came back earlier than that. But I do remember that like everyone was joking when he was in the game, like "Don't trip anybody, Jarmal," and he held it together very well. I think he responded about <laughs> as well as you can from what is probably the most embarrassing thing to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, and they they did beat Colorado sixty to fifty six. That's a huge two and zero homestand because you beat two teams that had beaten you already. I mean, very vital. I mean, you really go through this game by game and you realize they were razor thin on that line for getting an at-large bid. Like, it's it's not the best resume ever, but... No, it's not. It's definitely not. The Pac-12 was good that season, which really helps them out. And uh, the USC game, I'm telling you, beating USC by 15 points when they're 21st in the country, that's what pushes the, pushes them in. Also, this next game, the, when they they went on the road and beat Stanford sixty two to fifty to go, to become fifteen and eight, I feel like that was probably a must win too. Yeah, because Stanford's kind of like lower middle of the Pac twelve at that. Not point, a good so team. Would, that that would have been a bad loss. They had beaten you at home because they followed that with losses to two good teams, Cal and Oregon, which we will will gloss past the Oregon game, but we should talk about the, the Washington game, the, the, the first of two Stevie Thompson half court buzzer beaters to beat them in Gill. The Washington game, um, Stevie Thompson earlier in the season when they beat Utah in the redemption game, we should say that's a really close game. Stevie Thompson hits two really clutch free throws at the end um, to win the game. So he's got some, like, people are kind of like, okay, is he going to be our closer at the end of the games? The Washington game, I was there in person for it. I will always remember <laughs> getting there early, and I sat in the student section because my little brother was still in school, so I sat with him, and we were really close to the court, and we watched uh, Gary Payton II give Stevie Thompson Jr. just a really intense neck massage right before the game started, and Gary Payton II's got the biggest hands you've ever seen, so he's got, like, his entire neck, and he's just, like, really, like, nodding out the knots for it. And it paid off because at the end of the game – in one of the few moments, this is one of the moments you were talking about, Sam, where, like, the beaver bias doesn't... I was referring to this a lot, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't hit. But at the end of the game, Oregon State's down. Um, I think there's, like, three seconds left on the clock, four seconds left on the clock. They inbound the ball to Stevie Thompson Jr. He takes it up the left side of the court. He blatantly travels <laughs> at the three-point line. Just an obvious, like, three-step shuffle to the side, kind of... If it was modern times and you had James Harden's like little gather step, step back, gather step, like maybe it's a little more questionable. But at the time, just a blatant travel. He rises up, swishes a three-pointer at the buzzer to win the game. The announcers, like even during the game, are just like, he travels. They don't call it. He puts it up. It's good. They don't get their freak out moment because they're like, well, they're surely going to call this, right? And then they just don't. And then, yeah, slowly the students kind of pour out. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. But that's any other 99 out of 100 times, the refs call that a travel. 70 out of 100 times, even if he doesn't travel, the refs call it as a travel because that's the Beaver bias. So to have him just have such a blatant travel in front and hit it, uh, it was a great moment. And then the other thing that was great about this was that uh, Washington used to have a point guard named Andrew Andrews, who's uh, kind of popular in Oregon circles because he's from Portland. He was like one of the better Portland basketball players. Portland doesn't get like a ton of great, high-level basketball players coming out of it as a city. He was one of them. Um, he was a great – I think he led the Pac-12 in scoring his senior year at Washington. But he had 30 points for Washington. And so to see 
like the hometown hero that you wanted to go to Oregon State, like if they could just keep some of their local talent, get denied a win off this other freshman's three-pointer, and just add a little extra cherry on top. Because I do remember Andrew Anders just went off that game. Very cathartic. Another guy I coached against in the in the Portland Pro-Am who uh, was no longer in NBA shape, I will say that, but but it was very cool to to be up close against him like that. Oh, yeah, to see a legend in person like that. <laughs> <laughs> They beat Washington State. Blew out Washington. Washington State is Oregon State's sister school because we think they're like the only team in the Pac-12 that's more disrespected and less thought about than Oregon State is Washington State in pretty much every sport, right, Sam? I would think, but I'll say this: that when they have, they are good. They get more shine too. It's like they get the they get love from the other end for being the lovable little underdog, and we don't get that the same way either. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That is true. It does seem like people like when they're good more than when Oregon State's good. Which is yeah, just Beaver the Beaver bias. bias. That's just the Beaver bias. Um, then they wrap up with a loss to USC. Um, good away, and then a, a good, good loss. You know, that's a good USC team. That was a team they were kind of not lucky to beat in the first game. But that's, A, a very tall USC team, a very athletic USC team. I mean, they got Jordan McLaughlin on it, too, as their point guard, who – it's so funny looking back, seeing as how he has a pretty good NBA career, how he just had to hand the ball off to these just like tall shooters, <laughs> just volume shooters who did nothing. But that's a good team, so good loss. And then you beat UCLA, a team that you really should beat in this season. Most most years you're not going to say Oregon State should beat UCLA, but this year clearly better in the standard in the standings. That's a good win to end the season on. You don't really drop the ball too much. You put yourself positioned to be on the bubble depending on how you do in the Pac-12 tournament. Now, they, there was talk that – because an iconic finish to that game when they had the – they got the stop and then threw it ahead to GP2 when he got his alley-oop, and then they celebrated after that game as if they knew they were in, which I remember thinking, like, they're jinxing this right now. Like, we – that it's really not that rock solid of a resume because we beat a UCLA team that'll probably go to the NIT and only because they're UCLA, they're not even good enough to do that. Mm. And they didn't even go to the NIT. No, but um, I just, I remember th- like being thrilled. They wanted, of course, because they easily could have lost that game, but also thinking like, I don't know what this confirms when we still got a conference tournament to play. You're on a roll, you're finishing out the season strong. And then Trey Sinkle, who's poised to get an all-freshman team selection, if everything goes right, um, breaks his foot. Can't play anymore. Breaks his left foot. And it's in practice in between the Washington and USC game. He's out for the remainder of the season. That's a devastating, devastating loss to this Oregon State team because that's your second-leading score. He'd become the second-leading score on the team at that point. And they became a much worse team because of it. People aren't like devastated by the Trey Stingle loss because this is a miracle season for Oregon State standards. So anything that's happening is like it's so over the top. You're so excited with what Gary Payne the second's doing, what everyone's doing. But losing Trey Stinkle is a, a huge blow to kind of your confidence in them, I guess, overall. Gary Payne the second's lining up to maybe get the Pac-12 player of the year. He's leading Oregon State in points rebounds, assists, and steals. No one's won Pac-12 Player of the Year since his dad. So you're looking at that. Maybe that's another milestone or full circle moment to have. And spoiler alert, he did not because of Beaver bias, but he was clearly the best player in the conference that year. 
Well, now we're in the in the 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 Pac-12 tournament, and mostly what I remember about that Arizona State game is that they could have lost, but PJ Bruce started balling out and providing that offense that that they were missing from Tinkle. So that was that was big, and then they lost to to Cal again. Uh, and I just I remember being very pissed about that game, but also we were in such rarefied air at this point that I was like not okay with it, but like, it made sense to me. Like this, this would be insane if they, they could be this Cal team again. And it left us in this horrible purgatory of like, well, we have to wait till selection Sunday now, which I had had never in my almost 26 years to that point of living had never experienced, but uh, yeah, jumped out of my chair. Like I was shocked. They were a seven seed. I'll always remember that, that, I yeah. was like, it won't be this one because they're not going to be a seven seed. No, getting the seven seed blew my mind. It was like, there's no way. And I was telling people, like, I can see like a 12 seed. I can see, I can see anywhere from like 10 to 13. And then classic Beaver Bias situation, you get a 10 seed VCU who was just drastically underseeded. Like, I remember seeing, seeing the matchup and getting mad that VCU was the 10 seed that we were playing. Well, and it further confirmation of the beaver bias that just objectively one of the more evil teams i I know they're mid-major and it's not in a it's it's not a power five but vcu when they let shaka go first of all they got really annoying under shaka they became this like overly hyped thing where shaka's not that good of a coach nobody is frankly like he's not a magician and they, they, the, the havoc thing, it got very annoying. They got kind of a Duke vibe to them. And then they replaced Shaka Smart with maybe the least likable coach in any sport ever. And I, yeah, you're right. Well, wait, was the coach over at BCU? So I remember being frustrated by, by their draw. And it's particular, it's just a bad mass matchup when you go by who their players are and Mo Ali Cox standing out as like this dominant, really big center who's really physically strong on the flip side you've got a kid drew eubanks who was pitching <laughs> playing baseball <laughs> up until like a year ago. as he goes at that point still and we should say this happened locally at 10 30 a.m at least pacific time which is not ideal for like the biggest game in your team's program's history at least in the past 30 years but you miss trace tinkle on your mind you're just saying like if Oregon State had Trace Tinkle, we win this game. Yeah, and uh, PJ Bruce did play 31 minutes off the bench and had 15 points and five assists. That's like a huge game. That is a huge game. But you lose by eight points. Oregon State literally never had a chance. There's no one on this team <laughs> who can step up to Cox. He, he was a freaking beast. And he just was so dominant. He got every rebound. He was just he was unstoppable. And there's just no one on Oregon State's lineup that you could put two of our post players together and they would weigh as much as that guy. Mm -mm. And so still a happy season. Like a lot, you lose in the first round, Oregon state, that is amazing for Oregon state fans. You're still ecstatic. You're still walking around. Your chest is out. Your head's up high. You're like looking people in the eye saying, yeah, that was arguably one of the best seasons in the last 40 years. (laughs) We we got a seat at the table. That's how it felt. Curse is still full full effect at this point. That's why Trace Tinkle breaks his foot. That's why we get VCU as the 10 seed. Um, There's a lot of things. There were some nitpicky calls in uh, 
the VCU game. I do remember that. Um, they hit Gary Payton with a couple of ones that Pac-12 refs maybe don't give. Um, yeah, no, this this is still a curse season because <laughs> Gary Payton rightfully curse. should be holding up a national championship. We all know that. Yeah, should, that's coming down the net. So it took an elite eight run to officially break the curse. Right. I want to know what it would take to fully eliminate the Beaver bias. A national championship. I mean, that's the hope. I, I, I am discouraged that the Beaver bias will ever go away. That if, if we did take home a national title, that there would be an asterisk created by the media somehow just to continue to perpetuate it. But I agree. Nothing less than a, than a national championship is going to do it. No, I take back my answer. Sam, you're right. The Beaver bias, if we're honest with ourselves, the Beaver, Beaver bias is so ingrained in the universe that Oregon State would win a national championship and then, like, all the articles would be about, like, North Carolina or, like, the team that lost in the Final Four that, right. should have, that didn't even get to the national championship game. What a run by like Hubert that. Davis. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like asking what is living with oxygen going to be like. I really don't know. Like, until I can see it in front of me, it's impossible to truly understand what it would be like without it. And I would say that the Beaver bias, even though it's so negative and so ingrained in every aspect of life itself, it doesn't take away from the team or the seasons. And I would argue that it it almost makes you feel more special as an Oregon State fan that the entire world and universe is against you and that we are wholly unique in that. Would you rather have... A trip to the final four or the University of Oregon having a drought like you just had for this. Season. Oh wow, that is a wow. good question. That's maybe yeah. the that's maybe the best question we've been given since we've been doing this. Yeah, that's because, your true journalist. <laughs> right. That uh it just the rewards seem to be equal. I mean to that's that's Obviously. honestly so you have no idea how much and the thing is that University of Oregon doesn't really hate Oregon State the way it's like a kind of a one-sided hate which makes it even worse like cuz that's cuz that's their move is to act like it doesn't even matter the rivalry like if you ask an Oregon it's fan insane. they'll say Washington yeah. is their rival and that's it's just so god I hate them so much to see them go through a drought <laughs> that we would have that would almost be worth giving up a final four just because we went to the elite eight and they literally the Oregon state team went to the elite eight, you know, like last, not this year, but last year. And after they lost the hotel still kicked them out at mid. There's a little story that went around that did not get the national news. It should have. No, And if that happened to Duke, it would have been a crime, a crime, but they got kicked out of their hotel room at like one in the morning, <laughs> the, the, like night that they lost their game, just like forced to leave early. So even when you achieve great heights as an Oregon state team, the bias still brings you down. I I would take U of O having a huge drought. I, I'll have to say it. I'll put it out there, Sam. I would take U of O having the drought. I would. I would. Light the banner on fire. I, um, I'll i say the final four just to give the other answer, but truly, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm, I can discern the pleasure. D- just to think about texting, like, our friend Lee, like, Portland State, you lost to them tonight? Really? Oh, yeah. Be- if, I, 
if I could see University of Portland do to University of Oregon what they do to us, God, that would oh, be. Oh man, that seems like it would be really, really fun. Yes, it's. Yeah, a, I don't know. I t- I take a complete collapse of the U of O basketball program over almost anything in life at this point. We talked about like lose lose versus lose lose lose. It, either one is a win win win. I mean, we're happy either way. It's especially yeah, ex- ecstatic. Experience.